You are listening to Selfie, produced by China Plus. I've been supported by his foundation since 2013. Sponsored students used to call him Teacher Two because we met him at school interviews and we took him to be a teacher. Now the younger ones refer to him as Uncle or Daddy. My hometown is Nandawu in Shangcai County in central Henan Province. Both of my parents were infected with HIV, and the family couldn't afford my tuition fees. It was Teacher Two who helped me pay for high school and college. Hello and welcome. I'm Manling in Beijing. My guest today is Chun Tu, founder and chairman of Chihun Foundation. Chun Tu's name is certainly well known in academic and business fields. Among Columbia and Harvard alumni, with investment bankers on Wall Street, and when he was associate director of UBS. But to thousands of children orphaned by AIDS and to those who live with HIV-positive parents in rural China, he is better known as Teacher Two or even Father Two. Now in his fifties, Chen Tu has spent the past two decades sponsoring young people like this through education and by giving psychological support. Chen Tu is always conscious of the fact that he has been more fortunate than those who were born to HIV-positive parents. When he was 14, Chen Tu's family migrated to the United States, seeking better education for him and his younger sister. You were born in Hong Kong, right? Yes. And when did you emigrate to the United States? Which city? I moved to the U.S. when I was 14, and、uh, I landed in San Francisco, and why, that's where I went to high school. Yeah, and why did your family decided to move to the U.S.? Because my father has a sister who lives in、uh, San Francisco, and、uh, through family reunion, we were able to go to the U.S. And at that time, I think the main motivation was that my parents wanted the children, i.e., myself and my sister, to have a better education and to be educated in the U.S. So after getting their green card or the permanent residency. They moved back to Hong Kong, so they did not stay in the U.S.、Oh, to work. So currently, they are now in Hong Kong. They have moved to the U.S. by now, but initially,、uh, in, in they, between, right? In between, they、mm-hmm. the main purpose was to let us go to school in the U.S. And、uh, do you think your family or your parents' decision to move you and your sister to the United States is a good one, a wise one? Looking back by now. For me, I think I went、uh, to the U.S. at a very ideal age. Had I gone fourteen, yeah. Had I gone earlier, then my Chinese would have been much worse, and my cultural identity to China would have been much worse. So it might be the case that even though I could still speak Chinese, I might not、uh, have such 
affiliation and cultural connection with China. And without that, I probably wouldn't be spending 20 years doing volunteer work in China without pay and serving the AIDS orphans. So, so I think that spirit and uh, emotional connection with China, I think, uh, or Chinese culture is important. Had I moved a bit later, I would, would become be different. less... Um, American. Yes, American. And also the way of thinking and um, you know education uh, would be different because I see some people, not just Chinese people, but other people who went to the U.S. after they become 18 or went for graduate studies. Actually, the American culture and way of living and the way of thinking might not be... um, They would get the technical knowledge. Mm -hmm, If you go for mm -hmm, a master's mm -hmm, degree, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. still learn a lot from the But the ways of thinking. Yeah, but you don't know America. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Um, I think it will be having more difficulties emerging, really mm-hmm. merging into the culture yeah. there. You've been straight A student when you were in high school in the United States, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it's, I'm very it's, lucky. It's, it's not lucky because <laughs> I think it's, it's all natural, right? For Chinese yeah. students to be having A, yeah. you know. Right. I actually, the whole grade has about 600 students in mm-hmm. each grade uh-huh. uh, and I always was the top student it might sound uh, a little bit the boastful uh, uh, yeah. but but <laughs> but I did not spend much time studying I actually as a new arrival new immigrant to the US I was very curious about the society and the culture so I spent a lot of time traveling and working I had a part-time job at a gas station a shell gas station, Hmm. pumping gas and working in a garage after school. I also spent time working at a local YMCA as a volunteer teaching junior high school students in a tutorial class. All right. And then straight A, not so easy. Do you think you're one of the... uh Typical Chinese students who went there and who worked hard. But at the same time, you were telling me that you actually earned your own pocket money and you went traveling, you know, seeing the world. But don't you think straight A is always the same sort of phenomenon amongst Asian students? They worked hard and they kind of um, become a threat to other (laughs) students. I see a dichotomy at that time because Asian students are still a minority at that time, I think predominantly my secondary school was um, white people. But the Asians have a substantial size, but it's still a minority. And I see that there's a very diverse uh, development. Some Asian students are academically very well, and they study very hard, and they wanted to go to university. But at the same time, there's another group of Asian students who felt that they are being ignored by the society. They're being left out. They felt that they were not able to mingle or integrate into the mainstream society or somehow they felt also the racial discrimination and they became more angry and sometimes rebellious. Where did you belong? I think I belong to the more mature group that we have very clear objective. Secondary school is only our stepping stone. Our next goal is to get into a good university. So we 
kind of ignore a lot of the noises and very focused on study. But is this also because why, you know, Chinese, some Asian people having difficulty in really merging into the bigger society because you're too focused on your own objectives? Sometimes, but we are okay with that. But there are other groups of Asians who might feel a bit left out. And that's why I think being a minority there is a risk of either you would do very well, you work extra hard to be accepted, but there's also the risk that people would give up themselves and go down the other way. And that's why when later on, when I started doing the work for AIDS orphans, I also see that AIDS orphans becoming, being a minority in the society, some are very aware that they are uh, an orphans and AIDS impacted, and they work extra hard to study. They value every single opportunity given to them by Chi Hang or by other groups, and they try to be the best that they can. But there's another group of AIDS orphans who felt so much discrimination against them. They give up to themselves. They are so angry at the society. They became rebellious, and some became joined the gangsters and later on ended up in jail. So you are okay with this kind of phenomenon or you were going to, you know, try your best to change? And yeah. in what direction you are making the uh, change? Okay, number one, you must realize that you are a minority. minority yes. And then you sometimes you felt like being discriminated against and also sometimes being marginalized. But that's the social norm. Once you accept the reality and you have that awareness and you know that you have to work extra hard in order to succeed in the society. But some people say, why should I work extra hard? Life is so unfair. That's not fair. Blah, Can blah, blah. I enjoy life, right? Yeah. For the time being. Right. But I never thought of that. I'm very... Um, I, once I'm aware of that, I became... I always work hard and I always have curiosity of the world and I like to travel I like to and then when you do that you kind of move upward a little bit are when you, you move upward a little bit you yeah. meet people who are a little bit upward and who would inspire you to go even further upward so it's a bit bit by bit yeah. step by step yeah. so are you telling the world that you believe in minority groups in either way in whatever fields they cannot afford not working hard. I think um, as a start, this message, as a yes. start, being a minority, you have the disadvantage uh, of being uh, marginalized and not being accepted by some people in a society. The greater society. Yeah. yeah. But I think by working hard, one can still fulfill the dreams. So no wonder you're an A student all the time in high school. And are you better at science or social science, we call it? I actually was very much impacted by my history teacher. He was an opera fan, and he also introduced me to the world of opera. Mm. He saw me like his own son. He has a son of my age. And in fact, both of us went to college in the same year. His son went to Princeton, and I went to Columbia. So we both went to the East Coast. <laughs> and sometimes when he visited his son, he would visit me as well. Wow. Because Princeton was just 50 minutes by train from New York. So it's a fatherly and teacher yeah. sort of a mentor yeah. Yeah. for you, So right? he's very inspiring and uh, taught me a lot of things. And uh, I remember he said one thing, because I like him, I like history so much that I have thought of doing, you know, more liberal arts uh, yeah. studies. 
But he said one thing to me that I remember very clearly that、uh, he said, "Chung, you are a very smart person. No matter what you choose to do, you're going to succeed." That means if you want to be a doctor, you can be a very good doctor. If you want to be a teacher, you can be a very good teacher. So it doesn't matter what you choose because you're going to succeed anyway. So choose something that you like and something that you are happy with. Yes, indeed, enjoy、yeah. life, right?、Yeah. But then, why did you choose finance? Actually, I did not know what I wanted to do. But then. After high school, I went to New York and went to Columbia, and Columbia was a financial center. I was looking for internship to do during the four years, and actually, as you may know, in the U.S., the first two years of university, you did not have to declare your, your major. Your major. You don't、yeah. have to choose what you want to study. Generic study.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at the same time, you explore what you like. So I had a lot of internships, and all the internships happened to be with banks, with financial market related. That made me had a better understanding of what the financial industry. Everything went to well, right? After graduation,、mm-hmm. you became a banker, and you said you owned your own small properties. Your salary was、um, satisfactory, right? And the、uh, social climbing or career climbing goes very well until one day, right? You became a The vice president of a、mm-hmm. European mm-hmm. bank mm-hmm. in New York, right?、Mm-hmm. I was in New York after working for a few years. I was、uh, pretty well settled down. I had my own. I bought a penthouse apartment.、Um, I was able to have a stable life. But according to normal circumstances, I think my life probably would not、uh, overlap. With a group of eight orphans in very remote areas in, in, in mainland, China, yeah, Chinese、um, mainland, and our path probably would not have crossed. And then there is an overlapping period between two parallel things, right? You're working as a banker,、mm-hmm. and at the same time, you went back to Hong Kong and、uh, established the Chihon.、So. What happened was a step by step development. My bank in New York relocated me to Hong Kong. So, so you went back so to Hong Kong. So I moved back to Hong Kong, but I worked for the same company.、Mm-hmm. And then at that time, I had a lot of opportunity to travel in China on business trips, doing due diligence on like power plants. Sometimes very remote areas in Guizhou, looking at some hydro power plants and possibility. At that time, there was no high-speed rail or even the infrastructure of airports, toll roads, and and also power plants. Because a lot of factories, a lot of manufacturing sectors, have to count on enough electricity supply in order to run a lot of the factories. So electricity is a big bottleneck for development. So we helped a lot of.、Uh, Foreign investors to invest on power plants and toll roads and stuff, and out of my curiosity of HIV/AIDS, I always ask the local people, you know, have you heard of AIDS? But I was quite surprised that back in twenty some years ago, a lot of people I asked haven't even heard about HIV/AIDS. Not to mention, you know, knowing how to prevent from it. So I became very concerned that China could repeat the same disaster that I have witnessed in the U.S. And the U.S. 
in the early 1990s became the world's uh, most populous country for HIV-AIDS yes. patients. Yeah. Most of the people with HIV were in the U.S. The first case, actually, the world's first mm. case, was discovered in 1981 yes. in San Francisco. San Francisco, yes. So, and uh, what was the reaction then? The whole world was afraid of... It's yeah. like a panic, right? It Cost. was like a panic, like uh, when Hong Kong had SARS. The end of the world is like things like that. Right. Or Ebola crisis yeah, in West thing. Africa yeah. a few years ago. So... At that time, because we did not know how it was transmitted, and there was even no name for it when I first arrived in San Francisco, it was just called a mysterious gay cancer. If you look at the newspaper front page, that was the name they used. And as a new immigrant and a young teenager, it made a big impact on me. And later on, someone that I know and worked closely together, you know, i.e. my teacher, also died of AIDS. So... I became very involved in the cause. And also, we what must... What was your reaction? Fear? Can you describe... Because it occurred in the US, the first one. Mm. And I remember as a journalist afterwards and mm. as a university teacher later, I still can recall that how people were like um, doomsday coming, no. you know, incurable, lethal, no. deadly disease or things like that. No. So can you give me some details how people around you then or yourself react mm. to such a terrible sort of... Uh, that was the general panic. But actually, after knowing that my high school teacher died of AIDS, we became more relaxed. Relaxed Because instead? we knew that this actually is not that easy to, to be infected. Because we have been working together and going to the class every day, but we are all fine. So actually, we became more comfortable and less fearful of the virus because we know that this is not as scary as being reported. It cost a death to yeah, <laughs> to send the yeah. signal, right? To so, pacify yeah, students. So, yeah. so I think ironically, we became desensitized. We became more sensitive of the issue. And after that, I think over so many years of doing H1, when I met a lot of people, no matter some of them are very well educated, and they knew that HIV AIDS cannot be transmitted with, uh, you know, sharing contact, social contact. But when they first met someone who is a known HIV positive person, they are still mentally very resistant of that. Mm -hmm. So there's still a mental block. But I think I'm glad that I did not have that mental block when I was very young. So mm -hmm. I became not afraid of the virus. And I think that helped when I later on, you know, work with the children, go to the, a lot of the villages and yeah, yeah, yeah. see the AIDS patients. I never became You don't have this psychological of, burden yeah, with you. Yeah. Uh, was Chihun designed to help AIDS patients at the very beginning? Yeah, because after all my trips with the banks, I became very worried that uh, China might uh, repeat the same tragedy as I've seen in the U.S. So I started the Chiang Foundation at that time, hoping to do more on prevention and education. So. And can you explain the word Chi Han, you know, the name you give to your fund? Yeah. Why Chi Han? Yeah, Chi means, Qi means uh, wisdom. Yes. And Hang means uh, action. So the idea is put wisdom into action. 
put wisdom into action. Yeah. And how much did it cost for any citizen to, you know, establish a fund like that? I remember the day when I started Which to year? open the bank account in 1998 with 100 Hong Kong dollars. So, 100 Hong Kong dollars. Yeah, so we are a typical grassroots organization with nothing at the beginning. What was the first thing you do with this 100 Hong Kong dollars? We started... Um, what did you do? <laughs> actually, we set up the bank account, but we got our first donation, which is from a condom brand. It starts with a D. Huh. And okay. then they gave us, I think, you know, tens of thousands of condoms to it- pass out. So our first donation wasn't really a cash donation, oh, it's but, uh, okay. but condoms. Okay. So but that was good too because we can still use it for public awareness and education. And But was it embarrassing for you guys to go to the street and to distribute these yes. things amongst the people? Where, yes. where did you... Hong Kong, right? You, Hong Kong, yeah. yeah. How did you do it? You went to public toilets or schools? Um, schools and uh, public events and uh, sometimes on the streets. We have uh, a lot of like World AIDS Day or public events. Sometimes in our talks, we would uh, give them out. I think um, later on, we also expanded our services to Shenzhen. With, uh, we mobilized groups of volunteers. Later on, besides the education and prevention, we also came across the AIDS orphans issue that a lot of people have died and leaving behind their children. And then we also started serving the children. Um, which particular thing make you decided that you're going to become a full-time philanthropist, mm-hmm. quit banking completely. I met a father and son in 2001 who were from Henan, from a village, and they were seeking medical treatment in Beijing. And oh. they were very clearly from... How did you meet? You were in Beijing? Yes, because by that time, we already started the HIV education prevention work. So I went to an AIDS conference, and they were clearly not you know, a medical expert, and they were dressed like peasants and uh-huh. from countryside. So I happened to meet them, and then... I just asked, why are you here? And then they said, oh, we are here seeking treatment because both of us have HIV and the local doctors did not know how to treat us. So we're here looking for help. They didn't know what AIDS was about. Yeah, um, it's only a deadly disease, right, in yeah, their eyes, yeah. but no idea no about idea. what. And then they were speaking very loudly. That, you know, that, oh, I have diabetes. They did not know about the social stigma and all the negative connotation associated the with stigma HIV. stigma hasn't happened hasn't yet. Happened. Yeah. So they oh, I don't know, I have AIDS. Really? Uh, my son got AIDS too, and um, we are here to sit here. So, so then I... So that got me interested, and um, and because of my long time interest in HIV/AIDS, I wanted to go there to take a look. But at that time, I did not know that it would become my second career. That's your complete career now. <laughs> yes, I went to a lot of villages and seeing all the households. I noticed that a lot of the children are being left behind at home and they have very sad and hopeless feeling. And that made a very big impact on me. And I said to myself that, wow, 
this is so heavy. These children are so desperate and hopeless. We must do something about it. And then I thought that what would make the biggest social impact? Because 20 years later, which is today, mm-hmm. the grandparents who were not HIV positive, but at that time already 60, 70 years old, would be by now 80, 90 years old. Gone. They would be gone, mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. And those parents who were at that time 30, 40 years old are now 50, 60 years old. And they would either be dying of AIDS or later on, the government had free treatment for them. Yes. They would not be productive for the family. <laughs> so the whole family would count on the children at that time, children who are 8, 10 years old at that time, who are now 20, 30 years old, whether these villages and communities would either go spiraling downwards to become more and more impacted, or they would have some hope really depends on the children's generation. So later on, I thought if we did not do anything, these children would become uneducated. They have so much social stigma in the society. A lot of them might not be able to find jobs. Yeah. And become so you actually had foreseen mm, the future. 20 years. 20 yeah. years ahead that it's going to be a spiraling down or spiraling up. Mm -hmm. And you have chosen Mm. to lift them up. Chuntu's visit to the village in 2002 ultimately led to his decision to quit his banking career to work full-time for the non-profit organization. From then on, Chihan Foundation has shifted from promoting awareness of HIV-AIDS to directly sponsoring children affected by the disease. In the next episode, Chun Tu will share more stories about how Chihan has helped those children shrug off the social stigma of AIDS and rewritten their fate. I'm Manling. Thank you for listening. Please rate us, because the more stars we get, the easier it is for other people to find the show. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.